Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And even in bunker times, lots of stuff is going on in IT. The world keeps spinning, Doc. It keeps spinning, bunker or no bunker. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter was hacked. That was the big news. 130 uh, high-profile Twitter accounts were hacked, and now Twitter is under investigation for that. You know, I have a blue check, so I was locked down. Okay, I so was, you everybody are everybody with a blue check was locked down because of that. The verified accounts. You are good to go. No, actually, even verified accounts got hacked. I know, that's what because, I mean. They, that's, yeah. they locked all of us down while they sorted it out. Oh, I see. Yeah, oh, so we, I, see. I could not access my Twitter. The Twitters were unavailable to me during this. Interesting. We'll talk about exactly how the hackers managed to do that. Now, Iranian spies, of course, are trying to hack into all sorts of U.S. accounts and everything. And they made a training video of five hours actually showing them hacking. And uh, IBM got all five hours of that video and they, you know, they posted it to the web. So wow. now we see firsthand evidence of the Iran Iranian hacking. Now, Department of Homeland Security is worried that all these masks are going to get in the way of facial recognition. Yeah. Because they use that to track everybody. So they're now, you know, worried about that, that masks may be a good way for the bad guys to hide themselves. You know, and hide one, of the, one of the other consequences of the masks are it's, What's that? it's tough for liquor stores to card kids. They can't tell how old you are when you go in to buy alcohol and they can't tell you to take the mask off. Oh, so that's a very good. Point. Well, this is this is becoming a problem in Baltimore. But, you know, <laughs> everything's a problem in Baltimore these days. Yeah. So that so they could show you like a driver's license and they can't match up the face right. because you've got a, on a mask. Exactly. Yeah, so that's a big problem. This week, we are going to feature a woman from uh, Russia, from actually Ukraine, who who's known by her nickname is the Ukrainian Ada Lovelace. She programmed the first computer built in the USSR, and she's you know on my on, she's part of my ongoing series where I feature pioneering women mm -hmm. in computers, and of course. It was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Knock in Cleveland. Dear Tech Talk, my son has been wanting a nice gaming computer, and I'm planning to get him one on his 12th birthday. Now, I looked at all the gaming computers on Amazon, and virtually every computer runs Windows 10. Now, my son is playing around with Linux. He loves playing with Linux. So I'm trying to find a Linux gaming machine, but I can't find any. My question is, why aren't there any gaming machines written for Linux? Knock in Cleveland, Ohio. Good question. Well, well, Knock, that's a very good question. The fact is, 
when people write games, they want to write games to make the maximum amount of money. And there are more Windows PCs in the world, far more Windows PCs than there are Linux computers. So for them, it's a no-brainer. If you want to make more money, you write it for Windows. So game developers target the Windows market because that's where the real profit lies. By the way, there are also more viruses written against Windows machine because there's more profit in malware if you write a Windows piece of malware. So all of the most popular games always run on, on Windows machines. Now there's a secondary reason that, that they're written for Windows. It just turns out that Windows is better suited for games because it has better support for gaming, more powerful hardware. And it's, uh, which is very frequently required for these resource-intensive games. Now, there are various ways to run Windows games on a Linux machine. So you could do a Windows emulator on a Linux machine, and you could run a Windows game. But I'm telling you, I just can't recommend that for your Sunnock because, because the performance would be down. I think you're just going to have to bite the bullet and get him a Windows machine, and he can run the games in the native Windows machine. And then if he wants to play with Linux... He could install a virtual machine on his Windows computer and then install Linux on that, and they could learn Linux. That's what I would recommend if he, if he wants to do both functions, both Linux as well as gaming. We got an email from Lily in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I've got an older Sony stereo system, and I'd love to connect some Bluetooth speakers to it and headphones. Now, the problem is my, my stereo system doesn't have a built-in Bluetooth. Is there any way to connect Bluetooth speakers or headphones to an old-fashioned stereo like I've got, Lily and Fairfax? Well, Lily, it's quite easy to actually connect Bluetooth speakers and headphones to an older TV system or audio system. You, what you want is a Bluetooth transmitter receiver. Now, these devices are very affordable. They work quite well. They're easy to install. All you have to do is connect the device to your stereo's audio output, plug it in, and then you take that device and you pair it with the speakers that you want to work with. Or you want to or you could pair it with the, the headphones that you want to want to you know use it with. Now what you want to you want to get a good uh, Bluetooth transmitter that's got long range so you don't have to sit real close to your stereo. Now there is a pretty good Bluetooth device out there called Tautronics long range Bluetooth 5 transmitter receiver for TV, for wireless audio adapter for home stereos. It's $46.99 on Amazon. Now, it'll stream all your audio wirelessly, and because it's a powerful Bluetooth transmitter, you, you can have up to 164 feet range in open air. So you'll be able to pretty much walk around your whole first floor without a problem. And it will, the, the good news, it'll pair to two devices simultaneously. So you could have two, you could have two earphones, you could have two speakers, uh, two speakers paired to it. So that might be a pretty good option for you. And best of luck with that Bluetooth stereo setup. We got an email from Peter in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, do you know when Microsoft is planning to re release Windows 11? I really need to buy a new laptop and I'd rather wait until Windows 11 comes out. So my laptop is not obsolete. Uh, what do you recommend? Love the podcast, Peter and Fairfax. Well, Peter, actually, Microsoft is never planning to re release Windows 11 at the current time. A while back, they made a decision to use a rolling update process for Windows 10 instead of periodically releasing a new version. So under their rolling update model, they release major features for Windows 10 every six months, 
and regular bug fixes once a month. Now, the semi-annual major feature updates are not new versions of Windows. They're simply updates to Windows 10. Now, why did Microsoft do this? For one thing, it's easier for them to write, you know, to write upgrades or maintain the code because after Windows 8.1 reaches its end of life cycle in January of 2023, Windows 10 will be the only remaining version. So Microsoft won't have to spend money maintaining all of the old versions. They'll just maintain one version, Windows 10. This also makes it easier for developers. You only have to write code for one version of Windows. So that means we're going to get better software, faster, cheaper, uh, all around the way. So I think it's really a great process that Microsoft has developed. It's, it's good for Microsoft, it's good for developers, and it's good for the user. So go ahead and buy your laptop. And just get a Windows 10 laptop, and it's not going to be obsolete at all. We got an email from Paula in Lansing, Michigan. Dear Doc and Jim, I recently bought a new 27-inch iMac, and I love it, except for one problem. I can barely see the cursor on that large screen. And so is there a way to make the cursor bigger? Huh. I, I love the machine, but, you know, I, I, gotta wear, I have to have a magnifying glass to see the cursor. Thanks, Paula in Lansing. Well, Paula, this is a you know problem with you know people uh, over time. That eyesight goes down a little bit. Maybe you need glasses, and and actually a bigger cursor is helpful. It's really easy to, to to actually increase the size of the cursor on the Mac. You just click the Apple icon that's on the upper top left corner of the screen, and then you click System Preferences, and then you click Accessibility, and then you click Display over in the left hand column. And then you find the cursor size, and you click on it, and there's like a little uh, um, uh, slider. You just slide that slider to the right, making the cursor bigger until you get a size that you like. And then you just simply hit save, and you've got a bigger cursor, and that will solve your problem going forward. We got an email from Tuk in Chantilly. Dear Tech Talk, I'd like to post pictures on my business Facebook account for marketing. You know, I write all these posts on Facebook, and it just is regular text. Is there a way to format it to make my posts look prettier? I don't want them to look so boring. I want the customers to read them and maybe visit my place of business more often. Thanks for the advice uh, each week on Tech Talk. I love the podcast. Took in Chantilly, Virginia. Well, uh, uh, Took. There are many ways to format Facebook posts. If you just do a normal posting, though, there's nothing built in for you to use formatting. Uh, you just It's just plain text. Now, what I like to use, and I've started using it a lot on my Facebook posts, are Notes. Notes is a great application built into Facebook that lets you really do nice formatting. Like you can format your text in either bolded or italics. You can insert a picture or a quote. You can have numbered lists, bulleted lists. You can have comments, likes, and shares of your notes. Uh, you can save drafts and notes, and then at a later time you can publish them, and you can control the uh, you know you can control the privacy on the notes to see who can see the notes. Now I'm telling you, notes is really a great formatting option, very easy to use. And so to access notes, just go to your own profile, click at the top under Facebook. And then you'll see a more, click on more. And then if notes, if the notes app is installed, you'll see notes in the list, click on it, you can open up notes. 
Now, the first time I used notes, it wasn't available, so I'd click on it. I couldn't see notes. So you actually have to add the notes tab. So if you can't find notes in your Facebook page or your, for your business Facebook page, click on settings, and then you go to select templates and tabs on the left. And then uh, scroll down to the bottom of that window and say add a tab, and another window will come up, and then you pick the uh, notes uh, line and then click add tab, and then you're going to add the notes tab. As soon as you do that, anytime you go back and you want to look for notes, it'll be, it'll be listed in the tabs, and you'll be able to get it without any problem at all. Now, the one problem with notes, though, when you're posting on Facebook, they don't let you boost it. Now, for businesses, a boost means it's like paid advertising. You say, look, I want to spend $20 to circulate this post to, say, more people, and you pay so much per click, and then as soon as your $20 is expended, they, they stop they stop advertising. And so businesses a lot of times will use boost for their posts. And unfortunately notes for whatever reason is not boostable. So if you want to have a formatted post that is boostable, you're going to have to format your, your, uh, your, your, uh, your posting in an external website. So there are several external websites that you can go to and these actually, you can format within these external websites, and they write uh, meta tags in there, in what they call Unicode meta tags, and they embed those in the code. And you can take and copy what you do in that third-party website and paste it into Facebook, and Facebook will read those Unicode, Unicode tags, and it will provide the formatting. So you can do bold, you can do italics, and so you can do some limited, uh, limited. so one of them went, one of the uh, I just I've got I'm going to list five of these particular websites on uh, you know on the on the show um, on the show outline that I'm going to post on Monday. But I'll just give you one now. Geshop g s s h o p p e dot com. You go to geshop dot com and you can do bold and italics there and just copy and paste in there. So these these are actually uh, a quite and some of these websites. There's also like f symbols.com, I guess that stands for Facebook symbols, fsymbols.com slash generators. And you can have all sorts of really wild symbols and, and fonts in there. And so, uh, and, or else if you want, you can just Google Facebook formatting and you'll, and you'll be able to find this list of sites that you've got available that, that are available for you to use right away. Now there's one final thing that Facebook does for formatting. If you want to post to a group, now, this is not just a posting to your timeline. It's to a group. They do allow, they do have some uh, formatting features allowed for group posts. I don't know why they don't make, it, make them available for regular posts. So they include heading one, heading two, which are bigger fonts. They include un, unordered lists, numbered lists, and quotation. So if you're posting a group post, you will see these formatting options available available, uh, up in the, um, up in the, um, you know, uh, uh, right, right above the, uh, sort of the uh, place where you're putting in your note. So listen, there, you do have options for formatting with Facebook and I'll tell you, knock, I wish you the best of luck bringing in business with your Facebook page. Yep. We got an email from Donna in Kansas. Dear tech talk. I sometimes, I sometimes have devices that fail because the battery leaks and corrodes the contacts. What's the best way to clean up the device 
if it suffer if it suffers a battery leak. You know, I've got that too. You know, you'll have like a like a clock, like a digital clock, and then eventually it dies. So you open it up and you see that this battery has been leaking all over the contacts or some other type of device. If you just let old batteries hang around, sometimes they'll leak in the contacts. So there are a number of things that you can do to clean that up. So there is a contact cleaner called Deoxit, D-E-O-X-I-T, which works pretty well. And you can put on Deoxit with a, with a Q-tip and, uh, and you can clean up all that battery acid. Uh, but if you don't have the oxid, don't worry. You don't have to pay for anything. You can use vinegar or lemon juice, and that'll also clean up the contacts just as well. Then after you've cleaned up the contacts with the oxid, vinegar, or lemon juice, using a, um, I mean, you could use a Q-tip. Uh, you might use a toothbrush. But then I would recommend that you retire the toothbrush after you use it for this application. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and then... After you've cleaned it up with either the lemon juice, the vinegar, or the deoxid, then you want to really clean the contacts with isopropyl alcohol. So you put on isopropyl alcohol with either a Q-tip or a toothbrush, as this case may be. And now if you want to use isopropyl alcohol, get, get, get 91% alcohol. That's better than the 70%. And then uh, the other good thing about the alcohol, it dries quickly, so you won't have a wet contact. You can start using it right away. So this actually is a very simple way to clean up your, uh, you know, to clean up your uh, digital equipment after a battery leak. Listen, we love your emails. We do. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. This is Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Katharina Yushchenko. Yushchenko. Close enough. Yushchenko. 
Katerina, that I know that's right. her first that looks, name. That looks right. Katerina uh, Yushchenko is a Soviet computer scientist best known for creating the address programming language. She is also called by the nickname Ukrainian Lady Lovelace. Now, now was Ada, I, I did that because, well, never mind. Ada Lovelace, of course, she was right. the first pro. See, Jim, I think that you're remembering a different Ada Lovelace. It was a different Lovelace. It wasn't an Ada Lovelace. Yes. Um, I think you are. But now, we, we, Andrew and I were, were looking at the, the, the notes before the show. Lady Lovelace, did, now did she, because she married royalty, did she get that title? Yeah, her husband was uh, uh, was the Duke of Lovelace. Right. And so that's how she got the title. And she's actually Lord Byron's, the poet's daughter. Right. So she's Lord Byron's daughter, and then she married uh, the, the Duke of Lovelace. So she became... Lady Lovelace, I guess, Lady Lovelace. And so they call her Ada Lovelace. That was her name. And she was the first programmer of Babbage's analytic machine. This was a mechanical computer that uh, Charles Babbage made, one of the first one of the first mechanical computers. And she actually, Ada Lovelace, programmed ba Babbage's analytic machine. Well, it turns out Katerina was the first woman to write a program for the MESM computer, in uh, in Russia now, MESM is a um, is an acronym for a Russian name that stands for Small Electronic Computer Machine, and so since she was the first programmer for the first computer built in Russia, she became known as Ukrainian Ada Lovelace. Uh -huh. Ada Lovelace, and so she's really quite proud of that. And uh, and she was a very instrumental in developing some major computer uh, programming languages. Now, she uh, she actually, um, uh, she was born December 8th, 1919 in central Ukraine. Now, she started her studies in Kiev University in 1937. She, she went there for about a few months and she was expelled. <laughs> because her father was accused of being an enemy of the people. Wow. So both her father and her mother were put in prison. Huh. But she was determined to get her degree. So she applied for a university in Moscow and got accepted, but she couldn't start studying there because they didn't provide lodging. So she couldn't find any place to go to school, so she moved from Ukraine to Uzbekistan, and she enrolled in a university in Samarkand, and to support herself while she was going to school, because her parents were in jail, she took a job at a factory that produced sites for tanks during World War II, mm -hmm. you know, optical sites for tanks. Finally, uh, she worked herself through school during the war, and uh, she received a BS, uh, Bachelor of Science, in 1942 from Central Asian State University. And she continued working during the war, making, making sites for tanks. Now, after the war was finished, she returned to the Ukraine. And in 1950, she received a PhD from the Institute of Mathematics and the Ukrainian Academy of Sciences. Uh, and she was actually the first woman in the USSR to become a doctor of physical and mathematical sciences in programming. She was a pioneer in a field that, you know, there really were no women. Now, in 1950, 
Boris uh, Gnet- Gedenko. You're on your own here. Yeah, Gedenko. <laughs> he was <laughs> he was a former boss of uh, Katerina. He was appointed to the Ukrainian Academy of Science and assigned to the Kiev Institute of Mathematics. So as soon as he got to the Kiev Institute of Mathematics, he hired Katerina to join him as a senior researcher. In 1954, the Academy, the Institute of Mathematics received a computer, received the first computer that was built in the USSR, the MESM, you know, which I talked about earlier. That was the... uh, the small electronic computing machine. And uh, and Katerina was one of the scholars who was assigned to operate the MESM machine. Now in 1957, uh, she became director of the Institute of Computer Sciences at the uh, Ukrainian Academy of Sciences. Now in the process of working with the MESM computer, it became clear that complex tasks were difficult to solve writing simple machine programs, you know, machine language, you know, zeros and ones, binary, and that you needed a higher level language. So she began developing a higher level language. Uh, And so uh, there was that that could translate between English commands and and machine languages. And so in 1955, uh, Katerina created the address programming language. And this was one of the first higher level programming languages ever developed. Now, the address programming language correctly identified the main principles of um, algorithmic programming language, the use of mathematical formulas, and the creation of operators. Now, the central idea in this address programming language was to distinguish between the address and the content, or the, the content which is stored at that address. Thus, she basically developed what is what later be called in the U.S. the pointer technique. Now, pointers where you could point to a particular memory location. Pointers were not used in the West until 1964, some eight years after she invented uh, the address programming language. Now, unfortunately, because in the United States, nobody was aware of her work because all of her books were, 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 were published in, in other languages and not in English, uh, Harold Lawrence created a 1964 programming language, PL1, and he is credited with inventing the concept of memory pointers. Now, memory pointers are used a lot in the C programming language. But in fact, when you look at the real history, she was the one that came up with pointers first. Now, in the 1960s, uh, in Russia, they created the first compiler for the address programming language. And... Had this programming language been used by the international community in the 19 in 1960, that was before Algol or Fortran were invented. Her language, the address programming language, would have become the de facto international standards. Hmm. But because we were, uh, you know, weren't really communicating with the Eastern Bloc countries at that time, we were operating independently of them, and we didn't use the developments that they had. Now, in 1961, she co-authored a book, The Elements of Programming. Now, this book was used all across the USSR and countries from the Eastern Bloc and was translated into five languages, none of which were English. She was the founder of the first Soviet school of theoretical programming. Now, one of the major achievements of the school under her direction 
was the creation of the algebraic grammar method for software synthesis. So she was constantly working on the underpinnings of, uh, of theoretical programming language creation. Uh, she, um, she worked on prob probability theory, algorithmic languages, programming languages. She also developed methods for automated, automated data processing that were required by the government. Now, she loved to mentor. She was a teacher. She actually supervised 56 PhD students in her career. Now, to prepare programmers, uh, Katarina wrote an educational series of textbooks in the 1970s, and she held many copyright certificates for these textbooks. And these were developed and distributed throughout the eight states of Ukraine. She is author of over 200 manuscripts, including 23 monographs and training aids, Despite all of her achievements, it's really not hard to have empathy for the young Katerina. She was wandering across Eastern Europe trying to get an education while her family was wrongly accused and in jail, and yet she persevered. So there's everything you'd want to know about Katerina uh, Yuchenko the Ukrainian Lady Lovelace. Hope you were paying attention because the knowledge you just gleaned from Dr. Schertz can yield you free lunch by playing the pop quiz coming up on Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, on the web at federalnewsnetwork.com, in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM, and you can find out more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yeah. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can be seated now. I just love these virtual audience that we have here. Yeah, you know, you don't have to shake hands, but you miss the hands. adulation. And I don't, I don't have to clean up, you know, peanut shells off the uh, studio. That's floor my either. problem now. It just makes Thanks, it a Doug. lot easier. Yeah. So this is not really a radio show. This is a classroom of the airways. And, of course, that means that we have to test whether our audience has been listening and yeah. learning. And we do that with the pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get tickets to fine dining at one of our restaurants once they open. And we're probably getting close to that. And you'll also get an A-plus for today's show. Now, earlier in the show, I was talking about Katerina Gushchenko. She, of course, is a Soviet computer scientist who's best known for creating the address programming language. But she also has a very special nickname. What is her nickname? 877 Wait a minute. He's in the wrong spot. He's moved all the way to the end of what he had to Question. say. Question. Pick up your phone, leave your mask on, and give us a call. If you're dialing from west to the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of a mile-high pile of oyster shells in Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're looking for a job building tanks in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's armor-plated and COVID-free. 8779-3639-333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Church. He's in well, a very thank si- you very much. He's in a silly he's, mood today. He certainly is. Well, you know what happened? The teleprompter got out of sync, so he that's, started reading from the wrong place. That's exactly right. He has to he is tied to the teleprompter. Yes, he is. Yep. He certainly is. Now, Twitter hackers tried to breach 130 accounts. Now, and Twitter had this, that happened a few days ago, and they managed to compromise what happened, how they did this. Initially, they thought that it was an inside job. One of the employees was actually doing the hacking. But they discovered that hackers managed to compromise an employee account through social engineering. You know, you call up, you say, well, this is IT, checking out your account. Would you log in for us so we could double check everything? And so somebody just you know, succumbed to one of those social engineering ploys and revealed their username and password to the hackers. So they logged into an employee account and that gave them access to all the accounts within Twitter. Now they decided that they only wanted to target really well-known accounts, people that were well-respected and verified because they had a scam that they were going to push. And the scam was They wanted people to donate bitcoins to their account. And so they went out and they, and so the idea was they would, uh, so they would tweet out with the, uh, from the Twitter accounts that they'd taken over a bit, a bitcoin scam. And they promised to double anybody's money who would send in a bitcoin. And then you would double your money very quickly. And so they, uh, they managed, they targeted 130 of the, uh, Facebook accounts, and they ended up really only hacking uh, five, mm-hmm. but they got like Elon Musk, they got Barack Obama, they got um, a number of other ones that were very high high profile, and they sent out this, uh, this Bitcoin scam, and uh, before Twitter could stop it, people had already donated $100,000 to this account. So these guys who did it made $100,000 
in literally less than an hour. Mm -hmm. And then Twitter jumped into action. They, they froze everyone's account because they didn't know really what the extent of the hack was. All the, all the they, verified accounts, all the verified accounts. And they went back and, uh, Oh, and oh, the other thing that these hackers did, they went into the accounts and they turned off two-factor authentication. So people could log into the Twitter account without having the second factor. So they turned off, they had complete control of the accounts. And, uh, uh, you know, so it, Twitter went in and tried to solve this problem. Now they finally determined the extent of the hack. It's quite embarrassing that they were so vulnerable to this. So now they're going to set up additional security tools so that an individual employee doesn't have all this uh, control. So people are looking at Twitter to see whether, how well they're doing on, uh, on uh, security these days. Well, it's funny. The next day when I logged in, because I have a verified account, I had to use two-factor authentication to get in. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's very good. But then the so day after that was back to normal. Back to normal. <laughs> well, I, I, I would always believe that two-factor authentication should be implemented at all times. Yeah. I'm a believer of that. Now, the Iranian spies accidentally leaked video of themselves hacking. Now, people at IBM's X-Force security team, how do you like that name? X-Force security. I like that. It sounds like Space Force. It sounds like Space different. Force. That's right. This is, uh, this is the IBM internal security team. They, re they uh, have obtained roughly five hours of video footage that shows hackers... Um, actually doing hacking and training, uh, training new hackers. Now, this was for uh, the group which uh, IBM calls ITG-18. Now, other companies have identified the hacking group as APT-35, but probably their best name is some people call them by Charming Kitten. So... <laughs> <laughs> so okay. the charming, so the charming kitten group was actually uh, a space, a spa, a state-sponsored espionage, espionage team linked to the government, and uh, the videos were found in about forty gigabytes of leaked data that the hackers had apparently stolen from victims' account, including U.S. and Greek military personnel. Now, other clues in the data suggest that the hackers had targeted U.S. State Department staff. An and an unnamed Iranian-American philanthropist. IBM researchers say they found the videos exposed due, due to a misconfiguration of the security settings in the virtual private, private cloud settings that had been used previously by APT35. The videos appear to be training demonstrations that shows how the Iran-backed hackers uh, uh, were able to uh, penetrate accounts, and they were training junior members of the hacking team. Uh, they shows how they compromised Gmail accounts and Yahoo accounts. So this is the first direct evidence that we've seen of state-sponsored cyber spying. It's almost never been seen outside of an intelligence agency. Interesting. All right, Doc, we've got somebody who'd like to play the, the uh, pop okay. quiz. Okay, very good. Line three, and we're talking to, I mean, there we go. We're talking to Mitchell from Bowie. Good morning, Mitchell. How are you? Uh, very well. Good, Doc. Uh, glad to be speaking with you. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Doc, go ahead and ask the question, please. Earlier in the show, I talked about uh, Katerina Yushchenko. She, of course, is the uh, best known as creator of the address programming language in Russia. What was her nickname? 
She was the Russian Ada Lovelace. That is correct. Or yep. Soviet Ada Lovelace, if you will. Very yeah. good. Very good. Close enough for Tech Talk. Close hang enough. A, hang on a okay. second. We're going to send you back to Andrew. He'll take your information, and we will uh, send the prize out to you. It is Saturday morning. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County at 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Observations from the bunker. You gonna do something Whoa. about the door one of these days? Yeah, observation of the bunker. It's very ominous down here, it but is. we're we are surviving down here in the bunker. But you do have snacks. We had we do certainly have snacks. Today I'm going to talk about Steve Jobs and his 10 top rules for success in life. It's really interesting. You know, Steve Jobs, he died a young he was 56 years yeah. old when he died from a pancreatic cancer. He was really taken away from us long before he should have been. But in that short number of years, he accomplished a lot and transformed three different fields completely. And so he had, uh, he had certain motivating factors that he lived by during his life. Number one, don't live a limited life. Your time's limited. So don't waste time living somebody else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of other opinions drown out your inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your own heart and intuition. And Steve did that all along the way. They, they gave him barriers at Apple and he just quit and went and started Pixar. Mm-hmm. And so he, oh no, he went and started, uh, he went and started next computer. And then, then from that, he went, went to start Pixar. So he always was driven by achieving something and making a difference and not letting the voices of others intimidate him to not pursue his goal. The second thing that's important to Steve is have passion. 
if you're not passionate enough from the start, you'll never stick it out. Because if you're not passionate about your job or your task, when the tough gets going, you're just going to give up. But if you have passion, you'll tough it out, push through those tough times, and achieve your goal. Design for yourself. Don't let the noise of other opinions drive your inner voice. Be the captain of your own ship. Design whatever you're going to design for yourself. Take the wheel and control it. Number four, now he was a real believer of this, don't sell crap. (laughs) (laughs) I've often said, Tiffany didn't become Tiffany's by putting junk on the, the shelves, right? That's right. He says, sell only high quality products. Apple is still on top because all of their products are high quality. Build a great team. This is interesting. And Steve Jobs would build great teams, even though he treated many people like garbage. He, I don't know if he was a good manager, but uh-huh. he could build a great team. And I think he kept a great team because he inspired them, despite his rough side. Uh, so he believed that you want to surround yourself with people who will, in fact, shape your future. If you surround yourselves with smart and positive people that share your vision, then you'll have a bright future ahead of you. So he was able to identify people who shared his vision and they stuck with him because they believed in the, vi- in, in the uh, vision. The next thing is don't do it for the money. Yeah. Choose a job you love and then you'll never have to work a day in your life. Now, Steve Jobs was worth $100 million when he was only 25 years old, but you know what? He never did it for the money. He did it because he wanted to change the world. He wanted to use technology to make it better for everyone. He was an innovator. Be proud of your products. This probably ties into don't sell crap. Create products <laughs> that, you, that, you could, that you could proudly recommend to your friends and family. If you've got a great product, money will follow. Build your products around your customers. Have a product your customers need. And be able to show them how you're adding value, how you're solving their problems. And earn your customers' trust because they'll know that you're trying to solve their problems. And when you market, you're not marketing products, you're marketing values. Value is what your your company stands for. So if you look at the marketing uh, campaigns of Apple, it's really about the values that stand behind Apple. Think different. Become an innovator, and that's what they're selling. That's what Nike does. Yeah, Nike doesn't say, "Hey, we got a, we got better better shoes than Adidas." They say, "Just do it." They're selling values, and he said the most important thing is stay hungry and stay foolish. Never be satisfied. Always push yourself, and try to do things that people say can't be done. That's what Steve Jobs did. He he would do things that people said are impossible. And he was willing just to put everything on the line to make it happen. Because if he failed, so what? He could always try again or try something even better. Steve died a young man, but he was able to change the marketplace dramatically because of his passion and insight and the way he lived life. So there you go. I miss Steve Jobs. I did like him. He died far, far too young. Yeah, I have a funny feeling you'll have plenty of time for more of these observations of the bunker. Oh, yeah. Of course, in the next year. I think we certainly will. Yeah.
Department of Homeland Security fears that face masks will hinder facial recognition. Mm-hmm. Well, these, yeah, these guys are, you know, DHS, they're brilliant. Do you they feel like every time you go to the grocery <laughs> store now, you're going to go rob a liquor store because you put your face mask on before you walk in? I, yeah. I mean, the funniest thing is going to the bank with the, with oh, the face mask. Oh, I know, mask. right? Yeah, you know, you're walking in with a mask on. And, you know, they've got all those cameras to recognize your face, but, you know, they, they can't recognize you with a face mask. So Department of Homeland Security has raised concern internally that face masks meant to protect us from COVID-19 may interfere with facial recognition technology. They are worried that the use of face masks will be used to invade law law enforcement even after the COVID-19 pandemic is over. The agency suggested a memo that protesters would use masks to avoid detection. It has no specific information that violent extremists or other criminals are using protective gear, but they think it's a real threat. Now, the latest guidance from CDC says that we need to wear face masks in public. And these face masks prevent you from having your face recognized. They also prevent you from having face recognition to log into your smartphone, which is really, really a, um, an annoyance. Mm-hmm. So the American Civil Liberty Union in Michigan filed an administrative complaint against Detroit Police Department over the wrongful arrest of a man based on misidentification of facial recognition software. Other people, other uh, privacy groups are suing the government for not using facial recognition because if we got facial recognition available everywhere, Steve uh, uh, Orwell's uh, prediction of Big Brother will come true. Everybody will be tracked. A bill introduced by the Democrats in the House last month would prohibit the use of facial recognition until there's a law that explicitly permits it. Right now, it's not covered by any legislation. It's the Wild West. And I do think from the point of view of privacy, we need to really cover it so that we can, um, we need to cover that so that people know what their rights are when it can be used, when it cannot be used, when it's admissible to court. Right. Now, you know, there's a problem with Google. They just collect everything. They do. They just collect data, data, more data, and it never goes away. And, uh, and people are uh, really worried about this massive invasion of privacy. Well, people are complaining to Google about that. And, uh, the EU has been taking action against Google, and Google, I think, is is afraid of some sort of government government intervention. So now they have an auto delete function for your data, which is actually which gives you auto delete of your web data and your location history. So they collect all the data. I mean, they they actually have GPS data from your phone. They know where you've been located, what websites you're on. They, I mean, they have got a hundred percent tracking of you. And they use that data to actually deliver targeted ads to you. And um, this has been so successful for Google that they control 70% of all advertising budget on the Internet. I mean, it is a money-making behemoth for them. Uh, But now they have a new feature where users can request that um, after 18 months, all of their data will be deleted. And uh, that's actually a pretty good thing. So all new users who create new accounts with Google, automatically their data will be retired after 18 months. I mean, it's not like they're not collecting data on you, but at least it's not data forever. Now, if you're an existing user, 
you can make Google delete your data after 18 months, but you've got to go, in order to do this, you actually, actually have to go in, set it up. If, if an existing user doesn't do anything, they'll just keep your data forever. So what you have to do is you, you have to go into your activity settings. You, you know, you, you, you log into your Google account, go uh -huh. to activity settings, and you can change this option. You can tell Google to auto-delete activity after three months, or you can actually tell it to stop data collection entirely. Wow. See, I'm in there now, and I'm trying to find activity settings. Where is that? Do you know? Yeah, it's under you. Act, uh, did you did you go into your Google account? Yeah, I'm into my Gmail account. Can you get to it from there? Yeah, so your Gmail account. Then you've got an overall Google account. Gmail is one of the applications. So right. it's probably probably in your uh, your basic uh, should be in your overall Google account. Gmail uh, is just one application. I see it. Yeah. Okay, so then you click on activity settings, and then you can say, uh, you know, collect, you know, save the data for three months, or don't collect any data at all. That's really a, a pretty good option, you know, and it will just auto-delete it. Now, if they don't collect any data for you, it means you won't get targeted ads. Now, some people may like targeted ads because you're shopping for stuff, and all of a sudden it gives you options, and you start seeing it. So. Some people may like that feature of targeted ads, but if you just want to have nothing collected, you actually have the choice. You can tell Google to begin auto-delete activity after three months or to stop the activity entirely. Now, uh, you, can, uh, you can enable what you want to do is you click on auto-delete option under the, web, under the web and app activity, and then you enable auto-delete for web and act activity on your Google account. And then once you are in under web and app activity, you can, delete, you can delete data after 18 months or after three months, and then click Next. Then you can scroll down and repeat this process for other data. You can auto-delete, but you've got to do it for each kind of data. It's your location data, your, your web browsing data, your YouTube data, and each of those, you can auto-delete this thing systematically, go through everything. And um, you can also pause data collection by clicking the slider to the right of that. If it's blue, it's enabled. If it's grayed out, it's disabled. So you can pause all data collection. Now, if the auto-delete option is grayed out in history, it's because you've already paused it. So uh, this is actually a great feature. And I think, I actually think Google is trying to preempt some legal actions against them because there's a lot of activity yeah. trying to go in after Google because they've become too obtrusive and they're collecting too much data. I think this is really a good start. So I'd recommend you go in there and find the auto-delete functions in your Google account and just, I just do auto-delete for yep. everything. I just did it. Okay, very good. Now there's a defendant's refusal to, uh, there, there was a, uh, see there's a problem with this uh, smartphones in that we have all this data in smartphones. We text people, we send email, and uh, the police have sort of taken the smartphone like they own the data. Like if they arrest you, they just take your smartphone and they demand that you unlock it. And, uh, and they say you don't have any right not to unlock it. And, uh, and, in, and this has become even more onerous when you had uh, facial recognition to unlock it or you could have fingerprints to unlock it. So there was this one defendant in Indiana who refused to unlock his cell phone, and it went to court, and it went actually to the Indiana Supreme Court, and they, on a three-to-two decision, upheld 
the individual's decision not to voluntarily un unlock his smartphone hmm. because it was protected by the Fifth Amendment, you know, the right to not incriminate yourself. Right. So this case only interprets the law in Indiana, and it's only controlling on courts in Indiana. However, the depth of this analysis, which is really quite detailed, indicates that this might have a much broader application across the whole country. Now, the defendant in the case was satellite, was named uh, Catalan Cio. He's being investigated by local authorities for stalking and harassment. So they were they were going to use his uh, GPS data and his text messages as proof of stalking and, and harassment. Now, the police detective sought and obtained two search warrants. The first permitted a forensic download of the contents of her smartphone. The second warrant compelled her to unlock the phone for purposes of allowing investigators to access. CO refused to unlock the phone and was held in contempt of court by, the, by, by a lower trial court. In reaching its decision, the court relied upon the Fifth Amendment provision that protects a person from being compelled to be a witness against themselves. The Indiana Supreme Court found it compelling that, that, that compelling CO to unlock her smartphone was tantamount requiring her to assist in the prosecution of her own case. The majority opinion concludes that the compelled protection of an unlocked smartphone is testimonial in nature and as a result is covered by the protection of the Fifth Amendment. This is going to be a big issue in the future. Yeah. And there are also other issues, I think, that are quite important. For instance, with this face locking, uh, police could actually take your phone and they could point it at your face and unlock it, and you would have a, uh, have a hard time doing it. That's why the uh, all the smartphones have a, and you want to learn what you, you can press. You can like double click a button on the uh, on the iPhone, and it will disable it will disable facial recognition. So you want to learn how to disable facial recognition or thumbprint as quickly as you can if you don't want people to get into your cell phone. Yep. Listen, we love 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 your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we want you to check out the Stratford University programs on www.stratford.edu and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.